I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Previously on Debut. One way of summing him up is he's something of an anachronism. I'm not sure if he entirely belongs in the present day. It was quite exasperating knowing that the building was there but not knowing what it was looked like inside and tenants have got security doors nowadays you can't just walk up you certainly can't walk into someone's house so this was no that's right you can't Leo Moran awoke with the first early spring sunshine pouring through his bedroom window he opened the curtains to reveal locked on in all its magnificence its surface a glittering azure the sky a cold deep burnished cobalt a songbird hailed the glory of the morning, and Ben Corrick gazed beneficently down the loch. Leo hoped that the new season would purge him of the foul humours of winter, and perhaps even restore a little portion of innocence to these once cloistered glens. This is part four of Debut podcast series that follows one crime writer from the bedroom to the bookshelf. We spent the last episode with our author Charlie McGarry in Glasgow. That's where Leo Moran, the hero of Charlie's novel, lives. But that book, The Ghost of Helen Addison, really comes alive when Leo gets out of the city. So we decided, me and Martin Gregg, my producer, to discover the true identity of the eerie location of Loch Don that Charlie created for this novel. Like Leo, our journey began by taking a train out of Glasgow and into the beautiful West Highlands. And not just any train. Here's Martin to explain exactly where we are and why this extraordinary journey has become a rite of passage for fans of a certain bespectacled boy wizard. We've just passed the top of Loch Lomond, so... Um we're sort of winding our way towards Creelarich, which is where the train splits. Uh, and then from there we'll go kind of left towards Dalmally, which is the final destination. Where we're meeting Charlie. We're meeting Charlie at Dalmally Station. When you get to Fort William, you can pick up the steam train. Uh, and the steam train goes from Fort William to Malig. So if you think of that as a Harry Potter line, you know, the, the viaduct... The viaducts at Glenfinnan and you know the Hogwarts Express steams across the Glenfinnan viaduct. Right. Um, the, 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 the actual. Yeah. The, the one that, is that where they shot it? Yeah, that's where they shot it at Glenfinnan. Oh. So, um, so that I mean that's iconic. And actually, when so that this train, you can just get the regular train from Fort Round to Malig, or you can get on the steam train specifically, uh, and then you can go on that line. But even if you stay on the regular train the train will slow down to a crawl as you're going across the viaduct uh, and then you know people can take their pictures but you'll see tourists there'll be a line of tourists up at the window um, before we, you reach the viaduct and then after the curve after the viaduct all taking pictures of it because it's so iconic I mean it's world famous I mean 
sitting around us just now we've got like tourists right. from yeah. and if we if we walked up this carriage and we started interviewing people there'd be people from all over the world yeah uh, this is one of the most famous railway journeys in the world um, and you can see why it's, yeah. it's, it's just breathtakingly uh, beautiful but this is the perfect time of year because it's so we're travelling in November travelling in November the, the leaves are just about still on the trees we've had a snowfall so up high you've seen these beautiful snowy peaks and it's also a stunningly beautiful sunny day it's a good setting for a novel it's a perfect setting for a novel We're at Dalmally Station and Martin and I have just got off this train and for the first time in my life had to wait, kind of wave the train past us before walking across the line, which is the, 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 uh, the latest memorable part of a very memorable journey. It's the first time I've been here, but not so for you, Charlie. Charlie, when, was, when were you here first? How did you find this place? I was here um, probably about 10 years ago when I went to a house of prayer nearby for a few days. My parents had won, it's quite funny, one of these church things, my parents had won a raffle, which was two people um, to attend a retreat at this house of prayer. And I was just kind of intrigued by this place because it runs a very successful charity called Mary's Meals, which feeds a lot of um, people in the third world, lots of children. While the locations we were about to visit were the ones that inspired Charlie, the names of the villages, the glens, the mountains, the lochs and the churches are not those that appear in the ghost of Helen Addison. So, while we were standing in the train station in Dalmali, Leo Moran gets off at Falaske. Here's Charlie to explain. The reason I changed the name and changed all the names really in the place was because although the ingredients... All the different elements I needed are here in Loch Awe and the surrounding glens. They, they just needed reordered a little bit. So therefore I kind of decided to rename things so I could fictionalise it and just have that latitude just to move things around. Falisky and some of the other names like Kildavanan, Scalpsy, these are place names on the Isle of Butte. And I just kind of randomly chose that. It's where we spent a lot of our childhood holidays so it's got a kind of nice resonance for me. And because they're real place names, it just gives the places that kind of authenticity. Since I've been coming up having written the book, sometimes I actually forget the original names of places and I'll refer to them by the ones I made up. The journey that Leo has on the train, it's quite good in terms of exposure of Leo's character. We find out that he's quite a religious guy. We find out that he's a bit eccentric, a bit grumpy. We find out that he's a bit of a hypochondriac, actually. He thinks he's having a stroke on the train <laughs> on the way up. And then he notices that the, the, the snow when he rises in the Highlands, he's out of Glasgow, and he arrives in this beautiful place. When he arrives at the station, he, he gets a, a taxi um, the few miles to um, Lockdown Village, where the action takes place and where this murder has just been committed. And then he has... Then I describe in the taxi um, some of the landscape that he that he drives through just to kind of position the reader. And that's what we're going to do next. Except we're not in a taxi. Charlie is driving while simultaneously acting as a tour guide. Not always a safe combination on the winding, single-track roads up there. Also present are Martin and I 
and Charlie's mother, Anne McGarry. Um, but this big old Glen here, and then Glen Tindrum going back the way. It's really some wonderful scenery. To the right of that, that's Ben Crooken. And just below it is Lockall Village. Lockall, um, which has got Lockall Hotel. You see Kilcom Castle there, just Beautiful. to the right. It's a ruined castle. And that's Locked On in the book. This is Locked On, correct. Um, it's a castle. Now you see the hotel over there to your right? Yeah. That's my hotel. There is a hotel where we're going, but it's very small. Um, and I wanted something grand. And that's... So I just kind of plucked that up and transposed it. Over there is also St Conan's Kirk, which we're going to visit at the end. Um, and that pretty much appears in the ghost of Helen Addison. There's various islands up here too, and there's islands further down the loch. There aren't actually islands where, where we're going to visit. So again, I just, try, I just pull those islands down, and I wanted islands that were far enough away from the shore and one of them's got a, an old keep on it an old castle which is probably inspired by that Kilcarn castle at the top although I've got a feeling there's a, one of the islands at the bottom of the lock has got a kind of old keep on it and that kind of inspired this idea of having a, a castle on it so this is the kind of main road I'm about to come off it to, off a single tracker this is just probably as good a day to see the loch. You could have chosen a better day because the mountains are sprinkled with snow and the sun's shining and the loch's blue. These beautiful green islands, pools of sunlight. And it's early November, but the autumn has been so long and lovely. We've still got lots of foliage on the trees. We've still got a lot of golden leaves. I think your mum is desperate for you to keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, I just love the sound of my voice. <laughs> right, we're about to turn off to the B840. It's going to take us to a place called Claddy. It's a lovely wee one track, a single track road, this. Get some good views of the loch. So see, see when you first came up here like are you just kind of soaking in the landscape and just you know taking things in naturally and then maybe when you decide that you're setting the book up here do you come back on almost like a research trip you know so I you know maybe one's leisure and then one's more like you're getting forensic in your research yes that's that's exactly right um I mean I didn't come up here with the intention of writing a, a book I didn't even have the idea of for the book but for the character um, so the first time I saw this landscape I was just as a tourist as someone who was visiting my cousin her and her husband have got a house up here and they very kindly lend it to us from time to time so I was actually up visiting them and just really loved the landscape and it became a, a big factor in the 
the creation, the creation of this detective and these, this series. That book couldn't happen without this this place, without this landscape. Just about to see on the left a tree that's been made to look like a dragon, or a kind of old stump that's been made to look like a dragon. Wow! I mentioned that in the in the book because a local wit has added a an eye to it, but someone has now added a tongue. <laughs> a tongue. Actually, just approaching the village of the hamlet of Arbreknish, which is where a lot of the action takes place. And the book is just called Lockdown or Lockdown Village. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We took a walk down to the lochside. Charlie wanted to show me a few locations that he used for the novel. Once again, you're going to hear a few of the eccentricities that I think link Charlie and Leo, his creation. I don't know how he found out all of this stuff or how he holds it all in his head, but Charlie has a way of peeling back every corner of this place to reveal the quirks of its history. Somewhere down this track is the ancient Pemberton caravan in which Lex Dreghorn lives. He's quite an unsavoury character and there is some cloud of suspicion over him. Um as being responsible for murder. Um, the landscape here doesn't really back up what's in the, the book. It's more of a kind of thicket of conifers that his caravan's in, whereas we're looking into a kind of uh, nice broad-leafed uh, woodland with water beyond it, a nice still mill pond, and we're just walking down, about halfway down towards the lock side now up to the left I'm not sure if you can see it but there's Victorian walled gardens or the remains of those which are referenced in the book and they actually exist um, you might notice as we walk certain strange looking quite exotic looking plants again these are referenced in the book um, and interestingly the landowner in Victorian times was a keen amateur botanist and obviously had certain 
exotic blooms from the empire and some of them must have uh, pollinated and uh, grow in the surrounding landscape so you occasionally see something that really doesn't fit in with the Scottish environment Speaking of flowers in the ghost of Helen Addison Helen's body is discovered in one of the novel's more memorable locations and it turned out we weren't far from the spot that gave Charlie the idea for that set piece I've just walked down a lane um, near the hamlet of Ardbrechnish um, we've got a lovely view of the loch of Loch Awe and Ben Kruiken or Ben Kruiken we're having a debate as how how we best pronounce that we can hear water flowing and we can see a thicket of rhododendron there's quite a lot of rhododendron sprinkled around and there's a kind of a grassy path um, offshooting the track that we're on and this is quite a good example of how you take a very small acorn and setting, or in this case a rhododendron cutting, and evolve it or grow into something that it's not something much bigger and different from what it is. So in the book, this is the so-called rhododendron walks, where the murder victim, Helen Addison's body, is found. Um, it's In the book it's much more formal, and it's kind of blaze paths. It's also where Leo, our hero, has his first conference with Detective Inspector Lang um, and they go for a stroll here not long after Leo's arrived and it's a good conversation that they have it tells us a lot good kind of character exposition of both guys about their kind of different outlooks different worldviews. Um, and I kind of like that relationship between Leo and the cop it's a kind of strained one and they're different people but there's a kind of underlying respect and indeed I think they kind of like each other of course rhododendron is itself not a native species um, and although it's almost become inherent to the British landscape um, it's a something of a pest, something a rampant pest, I have to say though there is something I like about rhododendron there's something quite evocative about it there's just a certain country house grandeur to it. Um, so I was pleased to see it growing here and to be able to um, make it uh, inhabit the murder scene. There you go. Everything you needed to know about rhododendron but were afraid to ask. Moments later, we came into a clearing and found a scene that, even in the midst of all this highland splendour, took my breath away. You might hear that happening, actually. That's actually what I was going to wow. talk about next, was the, uh, the changing of... This is amazing. You can also walk around the back of it. Oh, so it kind of means cutting that landowner's garden. I think this is the first time since we got here this morning that I've walked into a, a location that completely takes me into the book. Right. Like, I could, this is how, this is the kind of place that I was seeing when I was reading the book for the first time. When we are looking across, um, like, a perfectly still 
mirror-like piece of water. You can see the trees, the colours of the trees reflected back. And as still as that water is, we've got roaring water behind us. And there's kind of like a desolation and a darkness a little bit about the nature of that woodland on the other side of the water, wouldn't you agree? It's the kind of lake that you could see a hand reaching out of. (laughs) And I think it's man-made. I think it's dammed to to create this uh, flow of water behind us, which would have driven a mill. Um, But it's, it's beautiful. It's so serene. But a very good example of a place that can be beautiful in the sunshine and fairly sinister when the light isn't so good. We had time for one more location visit before Martin and I had to get back on the train and make the reverse journey, leaving behind the lochs and the castles and the mountains and heading back to the city. There was an old church Charlie wanted to show us. And, being Charlie, he also wanted to tell us all about it, and the man who built it, and how he had used these things to inspire another of his novel's thrilling set pieces. So, explain first of all what we're looking at, because it's breathtaking. We're standing outside St Conan's Kirk, um, which is near the, the village of Loch quite a famous uh, building, or certainly famous in these parts. The first time I visited Loco, my cousin enthusiastically said that we must come here, and it was just crying out to be involved in the book in some way. Um, it was designed by one Walter Douglas Campbell, who was a kind of one of one of these Victorian polymaths um, and it was the church itself was built in the early part of the 20th century now Walter built a, man, a manor house for himself and nearby where he lived with his sister and his mother but the story goes that the kirk in, in Dalmally was too far for his mother to travel and therefore he decided to build her a kirk of her own or their own and it's really quite a remarkable building it's got Romanesque influence Gothic influence and just about any ecclesiastical architectural influence you care to mention it's got a square Norman tower it's got a kind of classical apse on the end and at the other end I suppose you would call it almost monastic quadrangles so it's very unusual it was Walter's life work it's a, just a, such a singular and crazy and wonderful building and it's just one of these rare architectural anomalies that just enriches our lives I think so I took ownership of the building for purposes of my novel as usual I changed the names it's St Philan's Kirk St. Philan was actually a real Celtic saint who came over from uh, from Ireland in the uh, 8th century. And St. Philan, St. Philan is actually associated with Glen Tindrum, which is a few miles eastwards of here. My version of 
of Walter was one Lord Kenneth MacArthur, who's the great-grandfather of the grey lady who appears in the book. And I described Kenneth as a hopeless eccentric who tacked on various architectural styles to the Gothic core of the Kirk, which lent it a crazily eclectic and at some points downright ugly complexion. So, without further ado... It's a scene in the book that Leo comes here in the dead of night. He actually bicycles here. And uh, he's actually shot at by, a, by somebody with a crossbow. Now, the reason he comes here is he has a vision. And the vision is of a large uh, eagle flying the length of Loch and then installing itself in this church. And here we are inside. I'm sure you'll agree it's just a very atmospheric place. Above the kind of organ loft, I imagine there was a kind of choir loft above the kind of organ pipes. There's a beautiful rose window up there. Um, I played a little bit with uh, the, the, the actuality of the church and that's where a marksman fires a crossbow bolt at Leo. Leo is at other, the other side of the church, at the at the apse. It's just a beautiful uh, circle, pillared circle, with clear glass windows behind it, and it's just a lovely light space. Other parts of the church are more gothic in texture, more almost quasi-Catholic rather than Presbyterian. Instantly cinematic as well. I mean, as soon as you're describing that action, you can see it taking place. And just imagine it was in the middle of the night. So this would be quite a creepy place. Not a place you'd want to to visit. Especially when you didn't realise what the vision was telling you, what reason it wanted you to come here. You just had this sense of urgency. You had to stop something. And I described the journey on bicycle that Leo takes to come here and he feels a sense of resentment at his, um, the, the fact that he's duty bound to, to respond to the visions that he has and this would be a particularly um, taxing uh, duty that he has to fulfil because it's the middle of the night, this place is it's cold, it's kind of beautiful it's it's there's, there's something creepy about it, there's something heavy about it, it's very ornate, there's candelabras dangling from the ceiling, um, kind of gothic, neo-gothic arches, stained glass, there's just a kind of heavy atmosphere to the place, it's not, it, it has its own eccentricities, this building, almost t- to the point of being comedic. But I think at night it would take on a completely different atmosphere. Um, you can the first time I came in here, there was candles flickering, votive lights. I could just imagine Leo opening the the door in the dead of night and the the votive lights flickering in the draft. Hopefully, I created a scene that was was quite creepy and quite scary for the reader. I must admit, if there was if there was a church where you could imagine a crossbow assassin lurking then I think we've just visited it okay. that was the tour of Loch Awe which goes by Loch Don in the ghost of Helen Addison I hope you enjoyed it 
I think you should go up there. It's really, really beautiful. Next time on Debut, and the time after that, we're changing gears for our last two episodes before the actual publication of Charlie's novel, when we're going to pick up the story again. We set Charlie up with two blind dates, both million-selling crime writers with lots of advice for our guy, Val McDermott, and first, Christopher Brookmeyer. The first review I ever got was also one of the worst reviews I ever got. It was thoroughly unpleasant and, and horribly nasty or something like that. And the other thing I would say is get an agent. Okay. Publishers, publishers are not your friend always. So they told me they were my friend. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they Debut is produced by me, Neil White, with help from Martin Gregg. Excerpts from The Ghost of Helen Addison are read by Bill Wright. Music by Charlie's brother, Michael McGarry. There's more about the podcast at debutpodcast.com. And you can let me know what you think on Twitter at Debut Podcast. If you like the show, can you please leave a review on iTunes or somewhere like that? Follow Charlie on Twitter at Charles E. McGarry and keep up with his writing at charlesemcgarry.com. His debut crime novel, The Ghost of Helen Addison, is published on July the 6th. And remember, if you do visit St. Conan's Kirk, watch out for the guy with a crossbow. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.